It's so good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's always an honor for me to be able to bring the word to you this morning. So I hope you know I don't take it lightly. I do take it with great honor, and I appreciate it. And so um, I also hope that you came with an expectation for God to speak to you this morning. I hope you begin to stir your faith for what God wants to say to you today, because he has a word specifically for you today. It's not just going to be, oh, uh, Pastor Rod, you better bring it, or else I'm not going to be impressed. I'm going to send you a very, very bad Yelp review or something. You have to be an expectation. You have to have an expectation that you're going to participate in what God is doing today. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to start with the story. Um, in the late, late 90s, uh, there began to be this movement of worship. And such veterans or OGs in the faith of worship, like people like Chris Tomlin, Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, started beginning to become well-known with their worship music. Other people like um, Kurt Franklin and um, uh, Ed Hillsong began to be big and well-known in the 90s. And there was this church in Watford, England, that their worship team began to explode began to explode with people just coming from everywhere to hear not only the word, but the worship. And it got to a point where the pastor of the church said, we are getting too far away from who we are because he noticed some differences. He noticed that all of a sudden the lights began to be really fancy and then there would be like a strobe light come in and then he said, okay, we used to have two guitars and we have three guitars on stage and we have a drummer and we have all these other things which are great, but he just said it's, it's becoming more of a show. And what, what began to, to draw the line for him is when there was a smoke machine on the stage and right before the worship team came out and then there was this big voice that said, are you ready? Are you ready for worship? And he was like, we're done. This is, this is too much. So the pastor came in and he, he took off all the instruments off the stage he got rid of the fancy lights, so let's get rid of the lights. Let's get rid of the lights. Get rid of the lights. He brought all the lights back up. He said, we're going to do worship a cappella until the Lord tells us to stop. And he sometimes wouldn't even come and have someone lead him in songs. He would just say, what, what does your heart want to give to the Father this morning? And people just started lifting up praises out of their voice out of their own mouth, out of their own spirit, they began to just sing songs to the Lord. And his worship leader, by the name of Matt Redman, wrote this song in 1996. You may have heard it. The song says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I will give you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. Because you search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking in to my heart. And you guys know the chorus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for everything that I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. And when Matt Redman wrote that song, it was out of that spirit of worship that was created in his church during that time because they didn't have anything else. And it had become about everything else but Jesus. And he said he wrote it 
And his idea was that it was just going to be a song that our, our church sings. And to this day, that is still one of the top five most sung, used songs around the world. No matter what language you sing it in, someone has heard that song. And so my message today is we're talking about being full of thanks, thankful. I am thankful for a comeback. I'm thankful to be able to come back. Everybody loves a good comeback, right? So my first point is uh, for the church, we need to come back to a reverence for God. Come back to a reverence of God. And the, the idea, I think, is what has happened in our church today worldwide is that if this is home base, if this is where we start with the things of the Lord, we've had the right heart, but we've said, oh, we need to reach those people over here. So, hey, let me come tell you about Jesus. And he's just right over here. And, come, and then those people over there, okay, well, let me go tell you about Jesus because, you know, it's right over there. And, and oh, those people like that music, well, we can do that music too, but let me just tell you about Jesus. And we keep going so far away. We're going so far away to where we're over here telling people about Jesus, but Jesus is way over there. And we're, we're trying to, with the right heart, with the right intention of trying to be all things to all men, all things to all people, which is the right mindset to have. But we got to have, we got to have grounded in the word of God, be grounded in who God has created us to be. And that starts with having a reverence of God. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. And I get into arguments sometimes about, uh, with my youth sometimes, because they have questions, they'll say, well, you know, just because I cuss doesn't mean I'm going to hell. And I said, you're exactly right. Cussing will not send you to hell. If no one ever told you that, let me let you know, cussing will not send you to hell. But let me just give you this example. There is a level of authority that exists on this earth that you will not cuss around. If you've been ever pulled over before and a cop says, do you know why I pulled you over? No, blankety blank, I don't know why you pulled me over. You wouldn't do that, would you? If you were in the court of law and you had to stand before a judge and he said, please approach the bench, you'd like, blankety blank judge, what you gonna say to me now? None of you would do that. If you would, let me know how prison goes and what that's like, staying overnight. But there's a level of authority that exists on this earth that you will not talk that way to. Yes or no? Yes. I let something slip one time. I, would, I was having lunch with my mom, and not a bad word. Wait, wait, wait. Talk about, talk about, talk about, talk about. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. I did not cuss in front of my mom, but don't cuss. Let me get. I am not that crazy. What had happened was she asked me a question, and my reply was, yeah. And it took me two seconds for her neck to look at me <laughs> and me to say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I'm a grown man in my 30s. Sir, yes, but I was raised that you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Please, no, after you, let me get the door. I was taught that way. If that was not how you're raised, I'm not saying you were wrong. I'm just saying I would have died in that moment, and Livy would have been up here telling you guys, well, he just said, yeah, we should have said yes, ma'am. <laughs> so there's a level of authority that exists on this earth that you treat with reverence. 
All I'm saying is God deserves at least the same level. At least, at least the same level, but he, we all know he's worthy of more. So let's have a reverence of God. That's not talking about just coming to church. I'm talking about throughout the week. I'm just talking about in your daily life. Do you reverence who God is? Do you reverence what he has done for you? If I sit and think about what he has done for me, I will just be moved to tears because I'm not worthy of it. But when we have that reverence of God, you know what? Coming to church isn't a question for you. Because you're like, if I'm not coming, if I'm not coming here this morning and I'm not going to receive something, I've got something that I'm going to bless somebody with today. Because these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to be around them. Having a reverence for God, we got to come back to it. Second, second point, we got to come back to surrender. Come back to surrender. In John 3, chapter 30 says, he must increase and I must decrease. If you are a saved follower of Christ, you've made that commitment, you've joined the family of God, you did not sign up for a country club membership. You signed up to join an army. If you are saved just by giving your life over to the Lord, you are sitting here this morning, and whether you did it when you were 5, 10, last week, it does not matter, you became an enemy of the kingdom of darkness. The fact that you are sitting here right now, the devil can't stand that you're alive. Each and every one of you, from the youngest to the oldest in the room, he does not like that you are sitting in a house of worship and you are a listening to the word of God. That's what you signed up for. If you haven't read the book, we need to go read the book. But he doesn't like you. Go back to the garden. What happened? He did not like what Adam and Eve had. And so he tried to... To, he did a very, he's been doing this for a long time. He did a work of convincing them that what God was keeping from them was more than what they had. Yeah. Now, here's an analogy. I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm just going to jump up and grab this chair because I need an analogy. It would be like, this is what the enemy said. God said, you can have everything. Just don't eat of that tree. Everything is yours. Just avoid that tree. Here comes the enemy as a serpent. Ah, can you believe him? He said that you can't have that one tree. How dare he tell you to stay away from that tree? It'd be like me telling you to come in and say, you can sit anywhere in the church, but don't sit on this chair and you get offended. <laughs> he said, I can't sit in that chair? Why come I can't sit in that chair? You can sit anywhere. You can sit on the stage. You can sit right here. You can sit on the floor. You can sit in the back. You can sit in the lobby. You can sit in that closet. You can sit by the exit sign. You can sit on that side of the stage. That's how I say. Just don't sit in that chair and you get offended. That's what happened. And he twisted it in such a way to make Eve believe that God was keeping something from them. And then so they went and did the one thing that God asked them not to do. God is giving us so much. And what the world has twisted, they have twisted the word and what we believe in our lifestyle and made people think, well, don't become a Christian because it's all about rules and regulations, what you can't do. 
There is so much freedom that comes when you are a believer that it can't compare. It can't compare. It's like picking a place to sit in this one room and saying, don't do this. When you start living a life and following what the word has instructed us to do, there's freedom that comes with it. But the world tries to tell you, no, uh, God's just trying to keep you from so much fun. He's just trying to tell you that it's, you're going to live a boring life. If, 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 if the world believes that being a Christian is boring, that's our fault. Because it's not boring. I don't know if you just heard what happened in the middle of worship with the tongue and interpretation. But if you haven't read the Bible, Jesus did a lot more creepier, freakier things than that. He took some dirt, he spit in it, and somebody got healed. He was standing next to someone. He said, get up and walk. This man had been lame his whole life, and he stood up and walked. And the Pharisees were like, "Ah, can you believe he did that on the Sabbath? And they were like, wait a minute, this man just got up and walked. The Sabbath, he he was, I I saw him with my own eyes. He cannot walk, and he just said, okay, time to go. That would blow your mind if you saw that. But guess what? That's the life he's called us to live every day. People should be different after they have a conversation with you. People should feel different. Not just, ooh, I feel great. They were so nice. But they should say there was something different about that conversation we just had. That person that was just sitting next to me in the restaurant, I don't know what's going on with that family, but there is a family in this restaurant that is, that is just, there's just, I want to go sit over there with them. I just want to go, there, it would be strange if we just went and sat with them. Like, people should have that draw to you. It is not you. It's because of the Spirit of God. I say this all the time, is that Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus. They were drawn to him. And the religious people were so confused. They're like, look at him sitting with those sinners. The sinners were like, we got to go hang out with Jesus. He's cool. He's really cool. People should feel that way about us. But it happens when we come back to surrender. Because as a life of a Christian, here's, here's, a, here's one of my points under that, is you live when you die. You begin to live when you die. When you die to your own thoughts, your own self about this is who I am, so y'all just going to have to deal with it. This is just the way God made me, so y'all just got to take no, you're just being a jerk. That's not Jesus. People love to say what Jesus did and how he offended people. The truth offended people. That's why they were offended, because their way of life was being exposed. Thank you. There was being, it was a counterculture going on. They were like, we've been doing it this way. Why is he doing it that way and getting results? That is what offended people. Jesus wasn't offensive as a person. He wasn't spitting in people's drinks and tripping people and calling people names. Well, he did call some people names, but he was the truth, (laughs) the truth of what he was saying it was offensive. Sorry, I got off all there. Okay. So God has things that he wants to give you, but you have to die to yourself first. And God lovingly will not give those things to you because you're not going to know what to do with it. 
I'm going to say that again. Is in a loving way, God wants you to let go of something. He's saying you're trying to hold everything. It'd be like me trying to hold everything. And then somebody took a football and said, hey, Roger, catch. Nobody would do that. That's cruel. Then trying to add one more thing to your plate. God's not going to overwhelm you, overload you. But he wants you to say, what are you doing with what I've given you? Because when you're faithful in little, you will be faithful with much. If you're wondering why I only have this much, you just have to ask the Lord, am I being faithful what you've given me? If you don't think God has given you anything, take a deep breath. You have breath in your lungs. If you have breath in your lungs, you've got a purpose. If you've got a purpose, you've got a destiny. If you've got a destiny, you've got a calling. If you've got a calling, God has given you something to live for. And he didn't give it to somebody else. He gave it to you. If you still are questioning what I just said, look around the room and find somebody that looks exactly like you. You will not find it. Because there's only one of you. Even the iPhone, we're on iPhone, what, 15 something, 13, 13? iPhone 13. They have to keep, there's not uh, an iSam 13. There's only one Pastor Sam Fisher. There is not a, a iRoger 12. There's only one Roger Sims Jr. There's a Roger Sims, the original, but I'm the sequel. You get the point. I'm named after my dad. There's only one of you. I keep talking. I just need to let my point sit and then quit explaining further. Point number three. We got to come back to the word. We have to come back to the word. Um, I don't see my, uh, my other white brother here this morning, um, Bradley. He may be watching online. If you're watching online, uh, Bradley and I had a lawn service growing up. It's called Twins Lawn Service. We are not twins, obviously, because Bradley looks like Pastor Sam, and I don't look like Pastor Sam. But what's really funny is whenever, it always amazed me, we would, if we had to buy equipment, whether it be a weed eater, a lawnmower, or whatever, we would always get, just, just have a little giggle fest because we would look at the instruction manual and it would have a, a list of things to do, but it has some things not to do. And one of the things that was, blew our minds was with a lawnmower, it said, it had the lawnmower lifted up. So if this is the end of the lawnmower, it was lifted up and it showed someone's head doing this. And it said, do not stick your head underneath the lawnmower while the lawnmower is turned on. I thought that was just common sense. But apparently they had to put the instructions in there for somebody because they thought that'd be a good idea. And they had to put a picture of it. They had to put picture and the words to explain not to do this. You know, sometimes God just puts there in the word some instructions for us. It's like, you know, someone has tried this before. But I'm just going to let you know that you need to love your neighbors as you love yourself. And he put that in there for a reason. But we have to come back to the instruction manual. We have to come back to the word. And a pastor said this, great seven words to live by. Are you ready? 
If you don't take notes, you need to write this down. Maybe it's already up there. It's already up there. Read the Bible. Do what God says. If you don't know anything else, if you don't understand the Greek, the Hebrew of the Bible, you know, read the Bible and do what God says. Because one implies, implies that you have to do something. You have to open your Bible and you have to read the word. The second part of that is then you have to listen. You have to read and you have to listen. Because those two points, those two halves of that statement are not going to contradict each other. God is not going to tell you to do something that's completely opposite of his word. His word is not going to tell you to do something completely opposite of what God tells you to do. They are going to be lined up together. So we have to come back to the word, though. Because if God tells you to do something and you haven't been in his word, then you're going to allow the world and everything else and your own logic to question it and say, well, why should I do it? How come is your, why should not? But this person's going to be offended. I'm going to do this and they're not going to think that and you're going to talk yourself out of something that God is telling you to do. But when you have been in his word and spent time with him, then when he tells you to do something, there won't be this question. There may be a question. There may be a little bit of you just, well, I don't, but you're going to know that's what his word said. But we have to read the Bible and do what God says. What does the Bible say about honor? What does it say? It says something like, things like, give honor to whom honors do. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, I heard this all the time. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that your days will be long on this earth. I was told that. You want to live long, honor your parents. You want to live short, don't honor your parents. If that offended you, that's what the word says. Don't take it up with me, take it up with God. Because honor is not a question about how you feel. Honor is not a question about if it's convenient to you. Honor says, honor whom honor is due. And there's a way to honor and respect and, and listen to people. There's a way to do that in a biblical, godly way. To honor does not mean that I'm going to 100% agree with everything that person says. I can still honor the men and women of God of this house. It doesn't mean I agree with everything they say. But I can honor and respect them. Because if you, if you think you have a, a reason to, to be offended, to be upset, um, see David, who was anointed the king in front of all his other siblings. And then what do you have to do? After the prophet left, I'm sure his brother's like, hey, you need to go back and tend to the sheep, king. If you don't think his siblings gave him some, some heck about that, that he was the youngest, he was out in the field, and then the, the prophet says, here's the next king, you don't have a lot of siblings. Because <laughs> I grew up with the youngest of seven. It was everything. Well, you the baby, so of course you're going to get it. Yes, I am. Three scoops, because mom said three scoops of ice cream. But David was anointed king, and then he had to go back to tending to the sheep. He had to go back to doing his everyday job out of honor. And then when the, when the throne was right there to where he could just smell it, all of a sudden the king starts attacking him. And Saul wanted to get him. Like, I don't like him. He's the next king. Let's take him out. And David rode with some pretty 
crazy men. And they were like, look, David, King Saul's coming at you. We can take care of this. Won't even be blood on your hands. We'll make it look like an accident. And then, bing, bada, boom, you're on the throne. We can take him out. David said no. He even had so point to, he had a point to where he cut a piece of Saul's robe off just to say, look, why are you trying to kill me? I could have taken you out, but no, because I have to honor what God has done, even though the Lord has told Saul, guess what? My anointing's from your life. It's over. He's still honored. What's the Bible say about faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're, we, we have been stuck on the, the idea that, that it is about right and wrong. It's about yes and no. And God is looking to your heart for obedience. He's just trying to see, do you, will you listen to what I have to tell you? Do you trust me enough that what I have for you is greater than what you're doing? And what does the Bible say about our lives? In Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's go there. Let's read that really quickly. Romans 12. You've heard this before, guys. So I know this is a repeat, but I feel like there's just needs to be some, some encouragement this morning and stirring up. When you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. Romans 12, verse 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. I'm reading out of the... NLT, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The translation most of us have heard, most of us have heard is the renewing of your mind. I got to ask you a question. When's the last time your mind was renewed about something? Can you recall the last time that you were thinking something one way, you read the word, got a revelation, and now you're thinking your mindset, your life has changed? When's the last time that happened? If it's been three to five years, if the last time you recall was, oh yeah, last year when I went to this conference or last year when I was listening to this speaker last year, you know, a couple years ago. That's a sign that your faith is trying to get stale. Our mind has to be renewed. Why does our mind has to be renewed? Because the world is trying to tell you how to follow God and they don't believe in God. Say that again. Our culture and our society is not rooted in the word of God. I'm sorry if that's news to you this morning. But the way our culture, the way society is going, it is not based off following what God says. They will take some principles, they will take some things and say stuff like, well, treat others how you like to be treated, which is the golden rule. They'll take parts of it, but it is not based off the word of God. And if you think that you can go with the world and still go with God, you are moving farther away 
from this right here, you're farther away, it's going to look different. It has to look different. It's not going to be the same. Our lives are given over to God, and we are not the same. But culture will try to tell you it's okay. Oh, it's all right. You know, this is what everybody's doing. It's not going to work like that. And as the church, we have to be different. They should come, people who haven't received the Lord. And that's why people are running from church. Let me just say that. That's why people are running from church. It's because they get treated the same way, sometimes worse in church, than they're treated out in the world. I'm like, why am I coming here and be ridiculed, be made fun of, be looked at, be judged? I get all that Monday through Friday. Do you want me to get up early to come to that? I'm good. I'm going to sleep in. They should be different. We should be different. We should be different. We should be different. But that only happens when we come back to the word. You have to come back to the word. And last, my last point is come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. One of the things I like to think about, and I remember certain parts of my life growing up, is I remember as we sat around, see Siri always trying to preach. (laughs) Siri is not created by Jesus, sorry. She said, I'm not sure I understand. You won't, it's okay. (laughs) The day you start understanding is the day I'm throwing my watch as far away. Sorry. Sorry, I watched too many movies with AI taking over. It's okay. Because it's so not in my notes. But all my friends that have smart houses, I tell them, I say, look, the day Siri and Alexa decide that you're actually a threat to society, they're supposed to text me 777 because Siri's locked them in their house and not letting them out. And I'm supposed to drive my Escalade through their front door and break them out. So if you have made a smart house to where you're like, Siri, dim the light, Siri, turn on, and Siri controls your whole house, just know, text me 777, and I'm driving through your front, front door to bust you out, because eventually AI is going to say, humans are the problem. Anyways, it happens in every movie. I'm sorry. That was so youth pastor of me to do that, but I do that with the youth, and they love it. Anyways, um, Come back to your first love. One thing I remember is sitting around the table as a family, and we would, we ate as a family. It was something that my family was big on, was that it wasn't like a revolving door in the kitchen. Everyone came, we ate as a family. Um, But we also um, talked about the Word, and we had Bible study together as a family. If you're not praying together, if you're not reading the Word as a family together, add that to your New Year's resolution. Just start. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn out. It can be 10 minutes together praying, talking about the word together. If you're not talking about it at home, they're probably not talking about it in their schools with their other friends. Talk about the word with your family. But I remember seeing my dad talk about the word and him just being so moved about what God has done for him to where my, my father, who at this time is a, just a, a, a grown man to me, and he's, he's, known, he's lived this life to where he is weeping at the table about how good God is. And that stuck with me, and it was because it was his first love. Because he realized, he said, while I was in sin, he still loved me. 
he still thought I was worthy. He still thinks you're worthy. You have not changed the Father's opinion about you. Despite anything that you've done, the Father loves you. And I think about, I like to have this conversation with myself, just think about some things. And one of the things I think about is that if I were to have a conversation with teenage Roger, if teenage Roger and 30-something Roger were to have a conversation, what would teenage Roger think of 30-something Roger? Because teenage Roger was very, very passionate and bold. I don't know if they remember one time, but I was leading worship, and the, the spirit was just moving so great in the, in the service and church. I was just overwhelmed, and I was just crying, and I remember screaming in the microphone. I just said, and if you don't love Jesus, and this is not for you, then you can just leave. And God bless Pastor Sam. Because <laughs> the next day, we had a great conversation. He was like, man, I just love your passion. I love your zeal. You just, you just love the Lord so much. Just, just, just next time, just don't ask people just to leave. Just, just, there's, there's a way to say that. I get the heart. I get what you're doing. I, I, just, I love it. There's a way to say it without just telling people to leave. But, but 18, 18-something-year-old Roger was just all out everything for Jesus. Yeah. Would give his right toe just to be closer to the Lord. It was, it was that serious of a commitment. And I wondered if, if teenage-something Roger would talk to 30-something Roger, what would he think about his life now? If you were to go back several years, what would, when you got in touch with your first love, when you realize how much God loves you and that moment when you gave everything for him, you said, God, just come into my life. I just give you everything. And then the next few weeks, how your life was changed, how you live differently to where you are now. What would that conversation be like? I like to think that teenage Roger would be Really impressed with 30-something-year-old Roger. One, I think teenage Roger would say, you married a hot wife. (laughs) I had to get my bonus point. Sorry, guys. I think he'd be happy with his life choices that he's made. I think he would think that his career is in a great place. But I really believe that teenage Roger would be the most impressed with the fact that I've stayed committed to the Lord and that teenage Roger would want to be like 30-something-year-old Roger and be pastoring an amazing youth group at an amazing church and be living his life completely for the Lord. And in everything he does, he gives honor to the Lord. Now, this isn't to pat me on the back. This isn't to say, good job, Roger. You stayed faithful. You stayed committed. This is to tell you this morning that a comeback is always available. Yes. Amen. And everybody loves a great comeback. 
whether it's in sports, whether it's in life, whether we look at some of the actors, I just popped in my head. Look at, at his life, at Robert Downey Jr.'s life. And just in his acting career where he fell rock bottom and now where he is now, people love that story. And if you've felt like this morning, it's the first time I've been at church in a long time. Or if you're watching online, it's the first time you've listened to a service or watched a service in a long time. God is not too far away. And I'm not telling you to go back to old things. I'm saying come back to who God has made you to be, who he's created you to be, to your purpose and your plan. Again, if you're sitting in this room this morning, hear me, church. Hear me this morning, right now. If you're sitting in this room this morning, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Yes. And there's no part that is too small in the eyes of God. I shared this with my youth. When a person, whether they've been in military or whether they've had an unfortunate accident, when they are learning and they're going through rehab and they're going through physical therapy, I've talked to some physical therapy assistants, some physical therapists at our university. Of all the toes, losing your pinky toe, it's like reteaching someone how to walk. Losing the pinky toe because it provides so much balance when you take your first step. You think it's your big toe, right? Because you stub it all the time, you drop stuff on it. Oh, my big toe. But it's our pinky toe that if someone loses that, it's like learning how to rewalk over again. The smallest one. And some of you are sitting here thinking that I don't have much to offer. My gift is small. And I'm not calling you a pinky toe this morning, but I'm saying that you are valuable and don't question your value in the eyes of God. Because you may think, well, that'd be just me. No one would notice. No one would, no one would care. I'm telling you, God sees you. And he wants you to come back. He wants you to come back. Yes. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, I thank you so much for every person that's here because they are your child. And Lord, the, the world may have tried to put a label on them. The world may have tried to tell them that they can't or maybe someone else may have said they can't measure up or they, they don't amount to anything or their life is, is worthless, Father. And I just rebuke that lie right now in Jesus' name. Because you designed, you created, you formed, and you fashioned every person that is here today. And they have a purpose and they have a plan and they have a destiny and they have a calling on their life to do something great for the kingdom of God. And Lord, we are coming back to the heart of worship where it is all about you, Lord. Where it's all about you, Jesus. And Lord, we are sorry. 
we apologize, Lord, for everything that we have made it. We've made it about a show. We've made it about me. We've made it about am I happy? Do I like this message? Do I like the, the songs they sing? Do I like the chairs? We've made it about everything else except about you. And we commit today that it is all about you.